0: Welcome to another episode of the Old Soul Movie Podcast, a show that features backgrounds, reviews, and reflections of some of the most influential movies ever made. And now your hosts... Hello and happy Noir-Vember, Old Soul Movie Podcast family. We put a poll out there on our Instagram to see which film noir you wanted us to cover this month. And we have our winner, Laura1944. So this has been kind of a crazy month. I was out of town for a wedding. Isabella had stuff that she had to take care of for grad school and she was super busy So getting around to this is coming a little bit later, and we are definitely going to revisit the film noir genre in January. Nice. That's a good one. (laughs) Is something funny Ben? Yeah. Yeah,
1: What you just said, obviously.
0: (laughs) Well, we will definitely talk more about the genre in depth then, but for now we are just going to have a casual little chat about this film and some of the standout moments. Really quick episode, and we'll have definitely a bit more of an extravagant episode for our holiday season. All right, let's get into Laura, our film noir from 1944. Laura is considered a pretty classic film noir. Honestly, it's really up there as probably one of the most acclaimed ones for this genre. It was directed by Otto Preminger. It was based off of the novel Laura by Vera Caspary. It was produced by Otto Preminger. It was distributed by 20th Century Fox. It was released October 11th, 1944. It is running at just a mere 88 minutes. So a pretty quick one, just a little under an hour and a half. It had a $1.02 million budget, and at the box office, it grossed approximately $2 million. So the premise of this movie is that a Manhattan detective named Mark McPherson is investigating the murder of a Madison Avenue ad executive, Laura Hunt. So while he's investigating the murder, he interviews Laura's arrogant best friend, who is a gossip columnist named Waldo Lidecker, and her ditzy fiance named Shelby Carpenter. All three men sort of become entangled in this adventure, and as the story goes, the detective McPherson grows more and more obsessed with the case and finds himself falling in love with Laura. So a little bit more on the cast here are stars. We have Gene Tierney as Laura Hunt. Uh, Jean Tierney is very talented. She is very well known for being very beautiful. She's an Academy Award nominee. She's been in several films, including Heaven Can Wait, The Razor's Edge, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, The Left Hand of God. Kind of fun fact about her. She had a very similar situation to Elle Woods. Hmm. She and John F. Kennedy had a romance. But he broke it off because of his political career, and that wouldn't be a good match for his career in politics. Wow. Yes. Um, I think she went to Miss Porter's school, though, which is also where JFK's wife went, Jackie Kennedy. Wow. Another kind of interesting note about her is that one of her children actually battled some health issues when she was born. And that situation would end up inspiring a story of Agatha Christie, the queen of crime stories, uh, one of her books, The Mirror Cracked from Side to Side. So we have uh, a little bit of a mystery connection there as well. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) 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 And then we have, (laughs) and then we have (laughs) Tina. Sorry. It's just so authentic. (laughs) We have Dana and Mark McPherson. He has been in a lot of film noirs and a lot of the military movies we've mentioned on the podcast, such as The North Star and The Iron Curtain, which Gene Tierney was also in. He's also been in The Best Years of Our Lives, as well as an old soul movie podcast fan favorite, State Fair. Oh, Yes, I remember that one. <laughs> and on a personal note, he actually was in recovery for addiction during his life, and he was known for being a huge champion for people going through recovery. Oh. And then we have Clifton Webb as Waldo Lidecker. Uh, he's kind of a fun, quirky, interesting actor. This was his first time on the screen in a really long time. He started his career in the silent era. I believe he was even quite like, jarred and taken aback by seeing how much he's changed in age when this movie came out. Uh, and he was also in the original Cheaper by the Dozen. Oh, you know, I've never seen the original Cheaper by the Dozen, but I always think that I should. Yeah, it's it's all right. It's all right. The most superior of the Cheaper by the Dozen universe is Cheaper by the Dozen 2. But um, obviously and- Cheaper by the Dozen 1 of the newer cheaper by the dozen movies is so depressing. They are so mean to that one kid. I know it's kind of sad. It's it's terrible. The second one is like a a staple, a summertime staple. It's great. So cute. And then we have Vincent Price as Shelby Carpenter, Vincent Price, an absolute icon in the horror world. Uh, We will do a way more in depth look at him sometime, but for now we'll keep it to a minimum because I do feel like he is one of the more familiar actors to a lay person. As mentioned before, he worked extensively in the horror genre with actors such as Boris Karloff. He also starred in some non-horrors like playing Baka in The Ten Commandments. He is known for really great command of villainous and sinister roles. Um, he also played the villain Egghead in the original Batman series. He starred alongside Lillian Gish from our last episode in her last movie, The Whales of August, that came out in 1987. And if his voice sounds familiar, you might recognize it as the narrating voiceover in the Thriller music video. Oh, Oh, no way. Yes way. That's him. That is a fun fact. Yeah, he has a very long, cool career. So hopefully we'll cover even more of him in the future. Cool cool actor. This is, I feel like, a relatively early-ish scene. I feel like he's young in this compared to other things that I know him from. So it's cool. And then we have, lastly, Judith Anderson as Anne Treadwell. Judith Anderson also played Mrs. Danvers and Rebecca. She played Memnet in The Ten Commandments, and she played Big Mama Paula in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Uh, So she's also been in quite a few things that we've either covered or talked about. Very well-known actress. Uh, and this is just kind of like a little spooky fact about the cast. Gene Tierney, Judith Anderson, Dana Andrews, and Vincent Price all died within three years of each other. Oh, that is. That's weird. a pretty
1: long period of time, <laughs> <laughs> But
0: That's three, years? They all three at years? Some point
1: in their lives
0: died. <laughs> I, I would think that, like, maybe. Five years, it, it's a little less spooky. I think it's three like is still...
1: Days. It's a pretty long time.
0: Three is still in the realm of spooky. In order
1: for that to be a fun fact, it has to be like a month. Three years is an insane amount of time.
0: I mean, I don't know. Three years doesn't sound that insane. It It is. Okay, but like four people in three years. Now, if it was like, I don't know, two people... That would be a little bit like, oh, okay. But four? Four well, of the, the main ones? Off. I Yeah, I think in the context of the movie that it's like it was four characters? Four of them died within three years. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, t- Ben, keep in mind, it's okay. four characters. Did all die of mysterious years.
1: circumstances? Or was it just like
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think most of them are natural causes, yes. But like four out of five Stars in three years. I feel like that's kind of significant, ish. That's significant. I think it's worth a note. No, Ben, that'd be like saying like four friends in our friend group died in three years. Isn't? Wouldn't that be a little that, crazy? That would be weird. That were would the, be weird. Were there? Were they in their seventies at the time? Um, let me let me let me give you a year that one of them died. Let's see. All I'm saying is it's weird. Like Ben, if our show if our life was a show and four of us died in three years, that would be weird. They died in about the nineties. We're twenty-three,
1: so twenty-three year olds don't often die. But if we were eighty five and we knew eighty five year olds, I'd be like, Yeah, that's about
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, wait, Emma, how old were some of them? Are they like young I, they were they were older like vincent price was in his 80s i believe oh wow so astonishing <laughs> okay wait but what about the others what about the others let's see let's look up jean tierney i know this is so off topic of like the movie itself but this is something we need <laughs> well, to, she tried to pass
1: that off as a fun fact
0: well i mean it's, it's interesting jean tierney was in her 70s she died in 91 god Ben, you're such a bummer you're such a bummer sometimes <laughs> that don't don't rain on her. OK, so Gene Tierney died and then Judith Anderson died and then Vincent Price died. And then let's see about Dana Andrews. OK, so it would have been Jean Tierney and then Dana Andrews and Judith Anderson the same year and then Vincent Price. So one of them one year, two of them the next year and then the next one the next year. I think that's I know, crazy.
1: What we're trying to figure out here is if they're in, if they were all in their seventies or eighties.
0: Yes, they were all like in seventies to eighties range. But like, okay, let's take the movie yeah, Titanic. Now, if Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, Billy Zane, they're still in forties and, and or fifties, and um, whoever, if they all like, let's say they were in their eighties, if all of them died, like one and then the next year and then the next year wouldn't you find that a little remarkable (laughs)
1: literally i literally (laughs) how much i would have find it remarkable in any way shape or form
0: (laughs) i would find it remarkable (laughs) there's
1: nothing i could be less shocked by
0: okay so let's say in the future leonardo DiCaprio and kate winslet die one year and then billy zane dies the next year and then uh Um, If they all die in the same year,
1: I'll give it regardless of age. But a three-year difference is... And then
0: Victor Garber dies the next year. You wouldn't think, like, wow, that's really strange that the main characters of this movie all died one year after another.
1: I literally would not think that at all.
0: Well, I think it's kind of interesting. I Uh, think it is, too. Especially for a movie about murder, you know?
1: You are just so, so wrong does
0: anyone think that is an? <laughs> My favorite thing is when Ben does that when he's like, "Let us know, sound off in the comments," as if he ever looks at the comments.
1: I don't even know if there are comments.
0: Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> Well, onward and upward Um, in 1999, Laura was selected for preservation by the United States National Film Registry for being culturally, historically or aesthetically significant. AFI, American Film Institute, names it as one of the 10 best mystery films of all time. So a lot of praise for this movie. Can't wait to hear your thoughts, Ben. So I just have some really brief behind-the-scenes stuff um, so we can kind of just get to the, some of the highlights from the rewatch. So the director of this was Otto Preminger. We have talked about Otto Preminger in a previous episode on the Old Soul Movie Podcast. We did a director spotlight on him. Interesting guy. Very interesting movies. Um, he's really known for pushing the envelope quite a bit. Um not exactly the most popular guy in the world. If you want to hear more about him and some of his stuff, I highly recommend checking out that episode because I think it'll give a little bit more context to the story I'm about to share. So originally the director of this was supposed to be a man named Ruben Mamoulian. Now, Ruben Mamoulian, he is another very acclaimed old Hollywood director, also known for great artistic and kind of groundbreaking changes in just terms of directional style. And there was a little bit of a battle going on behind the scenes. And again, check out that other episode to understand more about the dynamics. But I'll do a little bit of the shortcut here. So this movie was produced by 20th Century Fox, like I said. 20th Century Fox was headed up by Daryl F. Zanuck. Through a series of Game of Thrones-esque circumstances, Otto Preminger, who was not exactly like Mr. Popular, ended up there and was a producer on this film. Zanuck was no fan of Otto Preminger, but they were kind of stuck together. And Mamoulian and Preminger were also very distanced, despite Preminger being a producer. They didn't allow Otto Preminger on set. Uh, It was basically like, you're on this, but you're not really like on this, you know? And so Mamoulian's working on this. The first cuts go back to Zanuck to look at, and he hated it. Daryl of Zanuck thought it was terrible. Everything was bad. The costumes, the set, the acting everything Zanuck was like okay let's just redo let's start over let's try again and then he hated the second try even more a <laughs> uh- little <laughs> that. so it was just so bad and it got to the point where Ruben was dismissed from the film and then it happened Preminger got the call that he was on the film and they basically redid everything. Now, what's a really interesting about Otto Preminger, which I've mentioned before, is he is very well known for getting things in on time and under budget. So they re this entire film, redid everything, and were able to get it all done on time. I think that some of the commentary is a little bit interesting from the actors that worked on the film. So someone asked Otto Preminger, like, why do you think you did a better job on this film than Ruben Mamoulian? And his response was basically, well, Ruben Mamoulian only knows nice people. Uh, I know the people and the characters in Laura because those are basically my friends. <laughs> they they all suck. <laughs> wow. He's kind of funny for that. And then, like, I love some of the other lines of the actors that work behind the scenes with him. Vincent Price said, I may be one of the few people in the world who likes Otto Preminger, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then Gene Tierney said, Otto held us together, pushed and lifted what might have been a good movie into something that was something special. Um, Clifton Webb said that he thought that Preminger was a sympathetic director. And because he was an actor, he understood what characters went through as actors. So some of the background there. Basically, there was, I think the drama behind this movie is just as tension filled as the drama that unfolds on screen. So any comments before we begin this movie? I feel like I expected a little bit more. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I think that this is a pretty, I don't want to say simplistic movie. It's a, uh, it's, boring. it's... <laughs> okay. I don't know if i call it boring. Maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea. And a film noir is certainly, like, I think not necessarily for everyone, especially audiences of today. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, like, I don't want to say bare bones, but it is pretty stripped to the core. You've got a murder, a little bit of mystery, some intrigue. We have all of the iconography from film noirs. We have the shadows, the darkness, the light, the blinds. Uh, the femme fatale, the detective, the the shady characters. This really has everything. It, this is a really good kind of baseline film if you do just want to check out the film noir drama and see it for yourself. Um, When we do cover more of the genre in January, we can kind of go into that more. Or if you want, you can listen to our Hollywood After World War II podcast with Vincent Casaragola. He does a really good explanation of the film noir genre and the ties to German expressionism and sort of that solitariness of the time that the film noir genre captures. Um, But I think this is a really prime example of all of the kind of basics 101 of Film Noir. So without further ado, let's get into the rewatch. Ooh, ooh, here we go. Okay, so (laughs) it starts off, we meet our detective McPherson. He's rough, he's tough, he's a hardened man dealing with criminals nonstop. Uh, this is a black and white film uh, as most, the vast majority of film noirs are. (laughs) So he's kind of going through the timeline of the night of the murder with this friend of Laura's. And I don't, it was kind of interesting watching this because or like, and I've seen it before, but what was interesting for me was that I have just finished reading Agatha Christie's the murder of Roger Ackroyd, which is really good, by the way, I totally recommend it. I really liked it. Um, But it makes me think, did everyone just check the time all the time back in the day? I feel like in that book and in this movie, everyone just knows where they are and what they were doing exactly at every exact minute. No, it is weird. Every single time I, uh, not every single time, there are some times where I'll just be going about my day and I was like, and I always think, hmm. If like a crime happened right now, I would have no idea what time it happened at. I would have no clue. Yeah, same. Okay, so we get to like meet more in depth here. Lidecker, the friend, he's a columnist, but he's also kind of a contradictory guy. He's like, I don't pay attention to the details, but he just gave a very detailed timeline. And I love how blunt McPherson is. He just goes directly to the blunt question. Were you in love with her? I think he is a very prototypical noir detective. This is a very textbook example. He's very like I don't don't know how how to describe him other than tough, hardens, no emotion, stick to the facts. But a little bit of mystery and romance to him.
1: He's so handsome.
0: (laughs) He is a handsome man. That doesn't seem to hurt at all. He was there being boring. (laughs) Mm. Well, the next interview we go to is the fiance, which is kind of our, I don't know. Would we consider Lidecker a suspect at this point? The first, the first interviewee. Of course he is. (laughs) He's a super old man who is in love with her. He's top of my list. (laughs) But we do have someone else in love with her fiance, Shelby Carpenter. And it was so crazy. Like I haven't seen this in so long and it was just so crazy to like, see now with older eyes and vincent price is so youthful in this he's like a baby (laughs) so we also get to meet the aunt of sorts too i think um and shredwell what are our thoughts on shelby and aunt ann um you know Anne seemed like she seemed like a weird lady she seemed like a little bit of a little bit of a lunatic. Your classic crazy aunt. Classic crazy aunt. At this point, okay, so we've met three people. Like, you know, I, I would garner to say they could be three suspects. Who's your money on at this point in time, and why? Waldo. Always <laughs> Waldo. It's always going to be Waldo because, first of all, Isn't the creepy guy. Not, he's the old guy, Lieducker. Yeah.
1: It was definitely him.
0: Well, I mean, because here is. <laughs> The biggest red flag is the fact that he wants to go along to see everyone's reactions, every single suspect's reactions. That's already the biggest red flag to me. I don't Mm. trust this guy. Why does he want to see what all the other suspects are saying? Because he wants to get a better story. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty curious. I think there's more than uh, one ulterior motive there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So then, like, against all traditional investigation ethics, Carpenter, doctor, and McPherson all have a little look in the apartment. And I just... It's just kind of funny to see the three men interact. This movie is also a little bit... There's something about mary Ask. Yeah, this movie does not pass the Bechdel test, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's basically like... A, it's centered around the frame of men being obsessed with a woman.
1: Oh, pretty. You get it.
0: She is very pretty. Um, I feel like there's another movie we covered where it was like all these guys just obsessed with one woman. I can't remember off the cuff. Um, but yeah. So we get to see the men interact. I think that Carpenter, the fiance, is such a himbo. <laughs> you don't He's think that. Not- so? He's not cute enough to be a himbo, nor is he likable enough, Emma. You don't think he's a himbo? No, he's not cute. And he's not just, he's just not very likable. I hate to say it, he's just not. Do the youth want to explain to the people what a himbo is for those not familiar with such a term? I'm actually not
1: sure I know what himbo means.
0: Basically, what it is, is that it's like an attractive but overall not very intelligent man (laughs) like 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 a (laughs) croc from (laughs) ever's new brew like he's a himbo (laughs) i'm trying to think of a couple other examples uh like in the good place i've heard a lot of people say jason mendoza he's a bit of a himbo like, uh, it's just, like, attractive guys. They're not very smart, though, but they're so lovable. You just can't help but love them. They're just great, even though they're a little dumb. He seems like a bit of a dummy. He's not, You know, I don't find him attractive, but maybe he would be a himbo to someone else. <laughs> One himbo to me might not be a himbo to someone else. That's just how it goes. I uh, I think he checks the boxes, personally. So they're quite the trio so then we get some insight into laura's background and she is a little badass she's an ad woman a madman woman she's like a don draper but a girl and she's bold and <laughs> gutsy and a bold saleswoman yeah <laughs> you're describing her <laughs> i think what's okay. interesting about laura though as opposed to other film noirs like okay So there's a classic trope icon in film noirs of the femme fatale, right? The like dangerous woman that uh, lures men to their death. (laughs) And that's kind of what Laura is, but she's really not. I think she has the appearance of that. And I think that this movie does have a little bit of a feminist perspective in the sense of like, I think the men in her life make her out to be this way, but she's just a regular woman just breaking down barriers, just being a little boss, you know, but these guys, I think there's maybe like a symbolic threateningness about her that she's successful and a go-getter that they turn her into a femme fatale in their minds. I would agree. What do we think of Laura? What are our thoughts? Uh, she's pretty she seems cool and nice she seems like my kind of gal she seems like someone i'd be friends with i love how someone someone described her once as like very beautiful but not a, like not a perfect beauty which i think's a pretty <laughs> i would is. like to see the person who said that because I, <laughs> I assure you that they are mid at best she
1: is super pretty
0: yeah that's not even up for debate she's just objectively very attractive i think like she is she is objectively very i think that that's what they meant that she's not necessarily like you know i, I don't even know i'm like i i don't really see her as imperfect at all but the people said that her imperfections create such beauty i would love to know what you think <laughs> <her> imperfections. Genuinely. <laughs> I am almost 100% sure whoever said that was super ugly. <laughs> oh is that God. like a backhanded compliment? Yeah. I, mean, see, I, take, I, I
1: see that being true for somebody, but that's definitely not true for her. That's an insane thing to say.
0: I feel that like it's crazy. I, I forget who said she's the quote. as pretty as you can be. I feel like it was a roundabout way of saying she's just interesting to look at. No, it was it was a backhanded works, compliment. Right. She is yeah. like almost as
1: attractive as a person can be.
0: I agree. I I find her quite attractive as well, but also interesting to look at. I guess let's turn it around, oh, Emma. Please. Imagine you heard someone say that sitting <laughs> comment about you. Would you be insulted? I I think I'd be more. Confused. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's <laughs> not like a nice thing to say about someone. <laughs> But
1: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why you said that, Emma.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway, I think we can all agree. She's very pretty. Uh and actually I wanna hear if you guys agree. So during the backstory sequence, they show the one office scene and the boy in the office of Laura that's like getting closer and closer to Liedecker. Did he remind you guys of the current actor Will Poulter? Oh yeah, you know I could see that.
1: I don't know who that is.
0: Um, Ben what? doesn't get out much. Marvel movies? <laughs> Wasn't he in a Marvel movie? I no, would... he was in Where the Millers. He oh Ben, he was in The Maze Runner. Oh,
1: I do know who that is. He's sure.
0: the kid with freaky yeah. eyebrows. Now he's handsome. He's handsome. He's is handsome. Is he really? he is handsome.
1: Yeah. Good for him.
0: So we're getting all this from Lidecker's perspective, and there's a little bit of a Pygmalion situation between Lidecker and Laura. I think I'm asking the obvious here, but let's pretend we're in a little book club. Do we think that Lidecker has a thing for Laura at this point? (laughs) I actually
1: didn't. (laughs) You didn't? Not really.
0: What do you mean?
1: I don't know. I thought they could just be. I I thought he was gay, honestly.
0: What's interesting is, is the actor is, mm, I don't want to define his sexuality completely because I I don't know if it's entirely clear, but I'll say that it was known that he was in the LGBTQ community. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's pretty clear to stay that he's into her. Yeah. So, but that being said, uh, there was some hesitation about casting him in this role because there was thought of like, well, he comes off as not being maybe interested in women. So that's oh, interesting was- that you picked that up, Ben.
1: Have a great Gator.
0: <laughs> well, okay. Despite what his uh, what he does in real life and the movie, I felt like it was pretty clear to me that he had interest in Laura. I don't know. I I feel like they did a very good job of. Making it obvious, I agree. No, I I, 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 I feel, just, feel like he's just a man who's not constrained by typical gender norms, and he's interested and obsessed with Laura.
1: I only thought he was gay at the beginning. Once he started going on his monologue about staying in on Tuesdays or whatever, uh, it seemed like he was into her.
0: So you did think he was into her? Not at the very beginning,
1: though. Only once he gave his little backstory or whatever.
0: Just even in the beginning, when um. When McPherson walked in to talk to Lydecker. I just knew this guy was gonna be a weirdo and I knew he was gonna be obsessed with Laura. I yes. he just gave off that vibe. Oh, for sure. Um, I think it especially makes itself abundantly clear when you see that he tries to take down men who get between them and like <laughs> ruin their reputations or whatever. It's essentially like the guy that pretends to be the the friend of mary in something about mary but he's really like i don't know the pizza delivery guy but he pretends to be this smart guy with the doctorate yeah but like and that character tries to get rid of all the guys who mary is interested in like brett Favre. i've
1: never seen the movie
0: you've never seen there's something about mary nope i actually think you'd like it ben it's kind of like this but a comedy instead of a noir but I like
1: this movie, so it'd be tough.
0: <laughs> I, I know that was a really poor sell on my part. <laughs> but I think you'd be amused by it. So then we get back to Shelby, the fiance, and he's just it's just like a helium balloon, just a silly little goose. And uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh describing men as silly little gooses is so funny. <laughs>
0: Well, that's essentially him. He uh, he meets Laura and he tries to kind of make a pass at her, so to say. And uh, Laura's kind of like, hey, you're kind of dumb, but kind of cute, sort of deal. And La- I don't think Lydecker's a fan of this. He delivers a great line of, Laura, dear, I cannot stand these morons any longer. But <laughs> he wants to leave the party. <laughs> and Laura ends up becoming Shelby's boss. Wow. Got it. What a lady. (laughs) It's really, uh, it's really quite interesting, actually, when you're thinking about sort of, well, this is actually coming out before the war ended, when women did have a little bit more of like a power play in the societal structure um, before some of the shifts. But I think it's a cool dynamic to see. Yeah, I think it's one that you don't often see. And Lidecker, though, is over it. So he he's investigating Shelby Carpenter. And basically he finds that Lidecker finds out that Shelby's running around with a model. Do you believe him?
1: What do you mean, do I believe him? It's proven right.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. Did you think it was did you think that he was lying just to get Shelby Carpenter away from Laura? Hmm. No. But I think there's even more than that, though. He kind of has this, like, thing with her aunt. That
1: that part is crazy. You don't often see older women get love in movies.
0: Well, Ben thought
1: she looked good. good. (laughs) Ben was a fan. Yeah, really, Ben. I mean, she wasn't as cute as uh, Laura or whoever, but she was all right.
0: Well, I don't know how you could even think Laura's cute. She's so weird looking. I know,
1: right? What a
0: dumb. <laughs> i just do, really trying
1: to pass off these fun facts.
0: I, I do think it's interesting to see a, a woman of an older age than like the younger female star getting with the hunky young pinbo. Okay, right. we, we got us. He's not hunky. <laughs> Let's knock it, it off. Works that guy's very good he is not that good looking sorry sorry vincent price
1: he is pretty good looking mm, you are just dead
0: i think he's like objectively handsome
1: he for sure is very handsome
0: he's kind of got a rectangle head
1: yeah he he does definitely have a
0: big head it's it's a big head. All oh, I'm think- saying is, if I'm picking between Shelby and Mark McPherson, I think we all know who's going to win. Vincent Price can pull off a mean mustache, though. We're seeing this, like, pre-mustache days. This is true. You know, I do appreciate that the movie puts in so many things that you don't often see, like, in society at that time. A woman being the boss of her fiancé, an uh, older woman getting with a younger man. I love it. There are some dynamic uh, little little things here that are a little like Ooh, taboo, but this all comes to light for Laura, the aunt, the model, everything, and she breaks off the engagement. So then, enter Bessie, the Bessie. the maid housekeeper for Bessie. for Laura. Poor Bessie, Bessie's. Been through it. That's for sure. Do we think Bessie is at a a suspect at this point in time, or do we think she's Laura's ride or die? I think she's a ride or die. I think she's a little bit of a weirdo. Uh, well, she's, well, do you think she's obsessed with Laura too? Laura is Laura. Yeah, just yeah, that and captivating? With, yeah, she's obsessed with. It seems like everyone is obsessed with Laura, except for her aunt. Yeah.
1: Laura, her.
0: Well, she's a she's a threat to her. This is true. Yeah. Even then, I don't think Shelby's obsessed with her. I think he would do anything to help her, mm. but I don't think he's obsessed with her. Shelby's see, see. Shelby's the fiance.
1: Oh, I don't think he even likes her.
0: I think he, he does like her. her. But I think it could, he does like her. You know, it could be a little bit of a social climber liking. Oh, yeah. A little bit of a clout chaser. He is definitely yeah. a clout chaser. Yeah, I I get those vibes from him, too. So poor Bessie is like, why are you reading through her journals, her private things? And, and look, like, I, I'm big on privacy, too. But once you're murdered, aren't those things all kind of, like, up for grabs and evidence? Don't they kind of, like, have to look at those things? Yeah. What are the yeah. rules? Yeah, you definitely should be able to look through... All that stuff. Well, it's all evidence. It was all at the scene of the crime. Yeah. I imagine they look at your phone if you get murdered nowadays, right? Wouldn't it be along those same lines? Yeah. And then we get a clue here. Someone brought over cheap liquor. Now in this world of wealthy people, who possibly could have brought over the cheap liquor?
1: Honestly, they don't have any broke friends?
0: it wouldn't seem that way would it
1: no i agree
0: so then at this very moment the trio comes in being like hey what's the big idea <laughs> so checking in right here we have I'll be honest i feel like we have one clue and some backstory who do we think did it at this point if you're having to guess right now cheap I'm liquor. Still- keep, keep the cheap liquor in mind
1: Maybe the ant.
0: I I think that is a good, that to me, if, Lide, if I couldn't pick Lidecker, that would have been my second guess as well.
1: I mean, it's I, uh, we got the guy's weird little backstory so early, like the old guy about how he's so in love with this broad. Um, and at that point, it's pretty obvious um, that he did it. So it's kind of hard to even imagine anyone else did it.
0: What do you think they should have done to conceal such obvious feelings a little bit better?
1: You know what? Actually, I guess it's only true until you know it wasn't Laura who was murdered. So I guess I actually did a decent job covering it up because once Mm. Laura, you know that Laura is not the one who was murdered. It's like, Oh, could be anybody.
0: That's a good point. I, I think that is a pretty prime plot twist there. And I think that being said, I think I am like moving forward a little bit where, if you think Shelby's cheating or like with this other woman and the ant clearly has a thing for him, I think one could maybe put out a hypothesis that the ant is killing this other yeah. woman.
1: I think mean, that's a good idea.
0: I would yeah. think that. Oh, good, good call, Emma. So smart. <laughs> We're like making a mystery out of mystery. So Lydecker's coming in there when McPherson's hanging out. And basically, Lidecker's harassing McPherson, saying that he's in love with dead Laura while McPherson spends time at her place. Very noir-y, very uh, shadow, shadow, shadow-y. shadowy. <laughs> I mean, oh. Laura has a really nice place. If I was the detective, I'd probably be staying there, too.
1: Yeah, I'd be posted up for sure.
0: It's <laughs> just hanging out there like, yeah, this is on the market now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's dead. Guys, I uh, might as well take advantage of that.
1: Investigation going as long as possible.
0: <laughs> Did you see, by the way, that there's a house for sale where there was a murder suicide? What? Who the fuck's going to buy that? <laughs> no. How um, nice is it? It's really nice. It's like a big house. Ben, are you looking to move?
1: I mean, I'm just saying if it's a good deal. <laughs> no.
0: Absolutely not! You think I'm gonna move into a haunted place, a haunted house?
1: It'd be kind of fun.
0: That's some bad energy. You can move there yourself. Hey, do you think you could move into a house where a murder happened? No. Well, because I'd just be so okay. I guess it's one thing if the two people lived in the house and one murdered the other. I s- I wouldn't move in under any circumstances. But I think that's different than if like someone broke in that didn't know them and murdered them. Interesting. Uh, Anyway, moving on. Um, (laughs) What I think is a little bit interesting about this scene is that the um, portrait here of Laura, which is a very well-known associated image with the movie, was actually an enlarged photograph. And then they painted oils over it to look like it was a little bit of a painting. Isn't that clever? Oh, crazy! I know they're doing like face apps before those even existed. What are like? What would you call those filters? A filter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Are you laughing? Face app. app. Favorite thing. But wait, what's this? Laura is alive. Dun 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 dun. Are we? Are we shocked?
1: I, for a very long time, assumed What's-His-Name was Dreamy.
0: Oh, so you didn't think we really were seeing Laura. The, my biggest issue with this movie is that the revelations just aren't really that big. I feel like they should be more shocking mm. than they are in the movie. Like, I'm not gasping. This felt like an unintentional Gone Girl. Mm, interesting interesting like, it ben take the scissors out of your mouth um <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh.
0: just like i mean gone girl fantastic movie fantastic book that was like so shocking to me spoiler alert uh if you haven't seen it then just go and see it but in gone girl when you find out she's still alive that's like oh oh my god but in this i was like oh okay he's alive yeah oh she's alive and she didn't know people thought she was dead who cares
1: literally impossible if the cops went around the house and looked around she definitely would have noticed
0: well she wasn't she was out of town And she went for a very long walk when they went to go see her home. But granted, I feel like if they got to her house in the country Mm. and they went in, I feel like there would be signs that someone was was staying there. Literally.
1: Mm. It's actually really stupid.
0: I mean, they're just bad. They're bad at investigating is what I'm hearing. But maybe they got scared. Oh. 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 That's how I would feel. <laughs> but I would not be a cop. I could never. <laughs> Why would they be scared? It's just a house. What if they're like, oh, someone's in here. What if it's a bad guy?
1: <laughs>
0: wow. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to get into these unseen characters' mindsets. Literally. Uh, well, one thing's for sure when we do see Laura, and that is that her eyelash game is fierce. It's good. Do you think she was wearing fake eyelashes? She must have. No one's eyelashes are that fluttery and long and perfect and natural looking. Oh, they look too good. You're
1: Laura, they are.
0: That is so true. <laughs> Laura can do anything because she's Laura. This begs to ask the question if Laura's not dead, who is? do we have a guess as to who? Well, we all know who who died now. But at the at this point in time, when you're watching the movie for the first time,
1: I thought she was dreaming until they said who the other girl was.
0: So you thought half the movie was a dream sequence?
1: No, I just thought, no, no, no. While they're talking, when just those two are talking, she they say who the girl who was murdered is.
0: Mm, Yes. Okay. Yeah, I got gotcha.
1: you. The floozy.
0: And I don't know. We get some little like sexy noirness. I, I think there's some cheeky lines here. Like when uh, McPherson says, you better take off those wet clothes or you'll catch cold. It's like Ooh, a little spicy. And he's all, I suspect, nobody and everybody. I just want the truth, the hard, cold facts. But you see, he's getting a little bit emotionally invested. He's got a crush. I think so. How could you not? How could she not? She's so interesting looking. I mean, and they're both just super cute. I I would fold. I would. (laughs) You ship them? Oh, of course. They're the perfect couple. The perfect couple. The detective and a woman he thought was dead. They needed to find the murderer of. That's really Scorpio season-esque, isn't it? It is. We're a little bit out of Scorpio season, but one can revisit in their mind, right? I think so. So then we get some great shots here. The shadows, the lighting, so classic noir, the grittiness, some great buildup, and we learn the official truth. Diane Redfern is the real (gasps) quote, a.k.a. the model that Shelby Carpenter was sneaking around town with.
1: Not the model.
0: And that Dame Laura is going to pull a switch on McPherson and she gives a little bit of a call to Shelby. It's a good, it's a
1: fine plot twist.
0: What's the probability here in your mind that Shelby and Laura teamed up to kill Diane Redfern or that Laura just killed her on her own account? I mean, I wouldn't believe it. All I've heard about Laura is what a sweetheart she is.
1: <laughs> i mean, just so lovable.
0: So you, know, you don't think Laura's in on it at this point?
1: No, she couldn't harm a fly. She's so pretty.
0: <laughs> I think I honestly don't think that's how prettiness works. I think I okay. I think I would have honestly maybe liked the movie more if, if Laura was, was the problem, if she was secretly behind this murder and she was an evil mastermind. If she was what? a classic femme fatale instead of a symbolic made out to be femme fatale? Yeah. I I think I I would have liked that better. Interesting, I think that would have been very spicy. Don't get me wrong, spicy? but I do think there's something notable in the symbolic nature that she was a powerful woman, but not evil like she was being kind of framed to be. How could you be so
1: evil if you're so pretty?
0: Have you seen like any movie or fairy tale movie ever?
1: No in all fairy tale movies the the bad woman's always ugly.
0: evil queen in Snow White's pretty hot until she, like, you know, puts on a disguise, but... Is she hot? Yeah, she's pretty hot, right? Yeah. yeah. Maleficent's pretty. I don't know who that is. Ursula, when she changes into a human. Mm, she's, yeah. She looks pretty hot. I mean, one could objectively say Ursula's hot in sea witch form as well, you know? Who knows? Oh, yeah, she, she, yeah, she's, a, she's a baddie.
1: I'll look up Ursula as a human. <laughs> Ursula as <laughs> a human. Doo, doo, doo. Oh, she goes. Is hot. Ursula as a human is pretty hot. Why did she get younger when she became a human?
0: Well, she was trying to lure Prince Eric away.
1: I've never seen Little Mermaid.
0: You've actually. never seen The Little Mermaid? He hasn't seen, like, any of the Disney princess animated movies. Shout out in the comments if you want us to cover The Little Mermaid and see Ben's reaction (laughs) for the first time.
1: (laughs) Little Mermaid.
0: The Little Mermaid. Anyway, so suspicions are switching back to Shelby Carpenter. He gets caught going back for the shotgun. There are some discrepancies. He admitted to being the one to buy the cheap liquor a week ago. Uh, he and Diane just went to Laura's to "quote unquote" talk while she was wearing her nightgown. Oh. <laughs> but Diane Redfern opened the door and she was killed. Oh. And then Shelby, it seems like, just pieced out of the situation. Good friend, that's classic, Shelby. Ben, didn't you not too long ago, um, maybe even the last episode, say who sees a dead body and doesn't report it?
1: Uh, no, he's a he is a bad guy. Like no, that's he's okay. obviously a coward and a bad guy. Shelby Carpenter. Yeah.
0: It gives him more leeway than the old man in The Night of the Hunter because I'll this say. guy is more handsome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I do kind of honestly.
0: Handsome in air quotes because I um, don't think so. Oh my gosh. Leading back to the, the thoughts that we have of maybe he has something to do with it or we can go along with what you said in the last movie that he's just scared. Um, But either way, yeah, it doesn't report it. It's not looking great for him. And... Laura decides to stay overnight with the detective (gasps) very very saucy it's so it's so bodyguard trope he's got to protect her while there's Mm. a killer on the loose who's looking for Laura and then do we notice the blinds here that's very classic film noir the light and the dark contrasting thin lines traditionally in noirs it emulates the sensation of prison bars so Lydecker and Carpenter come over, and Lydecker is in shock and faints when he sees Laura alive. Hmm. hmm.
1: She thought he killed that bitch.
0: It's kind of like the Pushing Daisies episode with the one, uh, the one woman who's at the funeral. She sees the person that she thought she killed, and she's like, "Yes, oh, you're not supposed to be alive." Yes, runs out. I feel like pushing daisies actually has—I don't want to say it's like similar to this, but I feel like there's similar vibes. Like you know when Emerson and the one wife in that same episode are kind of like, ooh, little like yeah. femme fatale detective action going on. Yeah, it's a little saucy. There's like a little bit of a ooh, like I don't like you. Well, I don't like you, but they both secretly like each other. Enemies to lovers. Mm. <laughs> Love that trope. So then they have a homecoming party for Laura celebrating that she's still alive. Like, could you imagine (laughs) imagine, like whose idea was that? right? McPherson clearly is into Laura. I do feel like Shelby Carpenter does like women being in power over him. I feel like he does get off on that a little bit. That is a kink for sure. It's a bum. No, I think that's just his thing
1: he's just a bum
0: Shelby Carpenter thinks that Laura did it and Laura thinks that Shelby Carpenter did it and (gasps) (laughs) I know the fingers are pointing every which way
1: they really are
0: and then Laura's aunt drops this little bombshell line that's how I know that Shelby's capable of murder he's like me yeah well okay so the line that she says shortly after that i don't exactly remember how it goes but it's something along the lines of like i didn't do it like i thought about killing you too um (laughs) but (laughs) which is a crazy thing to say to someone but but i feel like that kind of cleared her in my head Mm, okay thought about it it's like when um Tyrion in Game of Thrones was like, I didn't kill Joffrey, but I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I had that <laughs> iconic line. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just like that. <laughs> and I think there is a great line here when McPherson's kind of like, all right, Laura, I'm taking you in. And, and you know, Lidecker's getting all defensive. And then McPherson's like, Funny. It seems as though you'd want her to be tried for murder. It's like Lidecker framed her for her own murder. <laughs> That's pretty funny, but it wasn't hers. It was really Diane's, but still, either way, yikes. She's under investigation. We hear some inconsistencies. The radio isn't really broken. She changes her relationship status to engage, not engage, to engage again with Shelby. What do we think Laura's hiding, if anything?
1: Laura couldn't hide anything.
0: (laughs) You're giving a lot of free passes to someone based off of how they look, Benjamin.
1: Oh, yeah. When you're that pretty, how could you be a bad person?
0: I think I was mostly just kind of dying at the line of... Are you in love with them as part of an investigation question? But it was really more of a personal question. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he really needed to know that for his investigation. He's not very subtle about it. <laughs> it's being thrown around quite a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> but falling in love with her wasn't part of the plan. <laughs> no, it was... uh it was a pretty uh tension-filled scene, a little sexual tension-filled scene with him just leaning right on over her, putting his face directly in her face. Are you in love with him? Oh yeah, I think this is a a little bit of a sexy movie for sure. I think it's got if some sensuality to it. They could have made it a little bit more sexy. They could have. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> This is going to come off as controversial. I I like Dana Andrews. I like Gene Tierney. I think they both did great in their roles. They're both very talented actors. Something about them to get, I don't know what it was. Like, I could get chemistry, but not like as something, something was like, I don't want to say missing, but like they maybe either both could have gone a little bit harder or I don't know, you know? I feel like if anything, the time, the timing of the movie kind of constrained it. Because I do think I I can see it, which is why I said that there could have been more like sexual tension in the movie. Mm. Because I, I see what you mean. It did feel like there was like just a little bit missing for them to get to that point in their chemistry. And I know he's but, supposed to be restrained. I know she's supposed to be kind of like a baddie, but not a baddie. Yeah. I, I would have liked a little bit more tension though. I think if the movie was a little bit longer, we would have seen more of that. Yeah, I think that we could have just like had a little bit of some more close to close face moments, maybe. I don't know. Something to really get the audience's bones jumping in the...
1: (laughs) More softcore porn.
0: (laughs) Well, they couldn't do that much because of the production code. There was a lot of restrictions on such things, but... Then next up, we get to LeDecker. I love how he's talking to McPherson, but he does have some interesting points. He's kind of like turning it around on McPherson, being like, "Don't you think it's weird that you were in love with a dead person, and he was most interested in you when he thought you were dead? And he can't, he can't feel, he can't even cry, he can't love. He's just a, he's just a detective. <laughs> he's <laughs> just a detective." Good <laughs> one, Emma. He's He's trying to convince Laura. Um, and Limeofer goes in further and it's given some real incel vibes. That is exactly what Ben said when we were watching it. <laughs> you got <laughs> it too, Ben. Ben said he was the first incel. He is kind of the first incel.
1: He was a weird guy.
0: Uh, and then Laura ends up standing up to him and tells him to just F right off. And that she was going to go hook up with whoever she wants to. Because she's an independent woman. Good for Laura. Good for Laura. So there you go. A a turning point. And there it is. We get a little bit of an answer. The shotgun was locked inside the clock that I almost said Shelby that Lidecker gave Laura. He is the one that shot Diane Redfern and he hid the gun. Oh, my gosh. And here it goes. The classic evil man trope. If I can't have you, nobody else can have you. And that's the whole motive behind him trying to murder Laura. I don't know how he thought he'd, like, get away with... I don't know. I guess he got pretty far, relatively far. <laughs> he did get pretty far. Everyone else is acting like a total idiot. So oh my god, his case. I was dying. I couldn't remember... Was this a line in the movie? I can't remember who said this, but like someone said that she had a remarkable collection of dopes. Oh, I think it was Lydecker. Was, was it Lydecker? I think it might have. Been. He had a lot of classic lines. Either way, I mean, it's pretty It's pretty good and pretty accurate. I mean, they are all kind of dopey. <laughs> yeah, I think he was saying that when he was rattling off all the different men that she's, oh, that she's fallen prey to. Mm, I see. I see. Yeah. Ah yes, that's right. Her her men, the men her, that she calls her dopes. Her dopes. <laughs> <laughs> her himbos. <laughs> 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 yeah, so we've got to keep Laura safe now. And McPherson locks her in and ow, ow, we get a, a pretty pretty hot kiss, in my opinion. A little bit of like uh consummating their love via kiss. I would agree. Yeah, that was actually a rel- that was a pretty steamy moment. That was a pretty That was pretty good. So we get the official climax. Lidecker sneaks in. I think this is a good scene. I think it's pretty suspenseful. I like the artistic choice of having the podcast about love playing over him as he's prepping to kill her. I, I think I don't know. I just think that this is a pretty good, scary, intense scene. I thought it was pretty good. I don't know. I If I had to go back and remake this movie. I, there's a couple things I would change. I think I would change it from a shotgun. Because I think that. I think that like a knife. Like a little dagger in the scene. It would have caused a little bit more suspense. Because like. Ooh. What's the hold up? What's the hold up with the shotgun? You've loaded it. Like you just need to declare yourself to her. It's. I don't know. And I think I would find someone that was a little bit scarier, maybe with crazy eyes to play Decker. He See, didn't I think he didn't spook me. I, I wasn't scared. I think that's what I liked, though. I kind of like that he didn't necessarily like seem scary, but it just goes to show you that killer evil people are just like anyone. <laughs> it could be anyone. <laughs> Incels can live amongst us. <laughs> So I don't know. Overall, I really liked it. Uh, what an ending. He shot at Laura, but she deflected it. McPherson and his team come just in the nick of time. Leidecker goes down and he professes his love to Laura as he goes. Very twisted, very psychologically dark. What a time. What a time.
1: What a time.
0: Well, any closing thoughts that we have on this film noir? Maybe maybe, your even first film noir, Ben?
1: Uh, pretty boring. Pretty subpar. <laughs> would not recommend.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I would recommend this. Well, I agree. It's not as, like, flashy as other movies. And it's not as, like, there are plot twists. But it's not, like, boom after boom after boom. I mean, you have pretty much, like, three suspects maybe four, if you include Laura and it bounces around between them a little bit, but I think you have one that you're pretty set on and it does end up being that one. I think that this is a very, very great example of everything that makes the noir genre, what it is and special and interesting. I think the visuals are really beautiful. It, has that dark grittiness that just captures a a lonely nation and <laughs> all of its anxieties so I think that this is a really good one to check out for your first one I'm excited I actually I'm really hoping that the next film noir we cover is Double Indemnity because that one is like the bomb to me Hmm. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with you. I think it's a good first film noir to watch. I think it just, it's a product of its time. I just think that it could have used a little bit more of everything. It could have used a little bit more suspense, could have used a little bit more drama, a little bit more romance, maybe. I i think it was very good for its time, though. And it's a, it's a good quick watch, so I didn't mind. Yeah, it's I think not my favorite movie, but it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. I think it's worth checking out. I love a good mystery. I love the mystery genre so much. I think it's really making a resurgence, to be honest. I cannot wait for Glass Onion. I cannot wait to watch it from the people I know who have seen it. They've said it's phenomenal. I thought Knives Out was great. Like I think that I think we're hitting a curve of revisiting this sort of story, these sort of plots, but in a new aged way. So I'm excited to see where things go. But yeah, this is a very good, cozy end of November, or beginning of December movie to check out. We will be having our holiday special next. So let us know on social media, which holiday classic you'd like us to cover. We're still trying to decide which one we're going to do. It'll be a good one no matter what. We've had some great ones in the past. There's still some that we need to visit so, I can't wait for that. And Isabella, where can they find us? Well, Emma, they can find us on Instagram at Old Soul Movie Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, even though we don't really use it as much anymore because the recent drama. <laughs> well, surrounding it. The most- Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 it's not maybe it's the best the place to reach us right now, but it's not impossible. Anyway, yes. I continue. Either way, they can find us on Twitter at Old Soul Pod, and then on Facebook they can find us at the Old Soul Movie Podcast. But Instagram, I would say, is the best place to reach out for sure. Send us your recommendations. Send us your favorite holiday movies. We can't wait to hear it and see it. Thank you so much, everyone, to listening to our Noir November special. This was Emma, Isabella, and Ben, Bioelectrical Transcription. And we cannot wait to see you next time on the Old Soul Movie Podcast. Bye.